Coming to you from Orlando, Florida. Orlando, Florida. And streaming around the world. Around the world. You're now tuned in to the Sales Samurai Podcast. The only B2B sales podcast providing unfiltered, unapologetic views and tactics directly from the sales trenches. Here's your host, Sam Capra. Uh, Welcome to another episode of the Sales Samurai. Appreciate you listening. Before we begin, do us a favor, take a moment to subscribe and download. On today's show, we're going to be discussing selling different. And we got an amazing guest for you guys today, Mr. Lee Sales, keynote speaker, sales management strategist, and author of Sales Differentiation and Sell Different. Lee, welcome to the show, man. Thanks. Great to be here. Bright and early, man. You're not lying. I mean, when we booked this, I I didn't put two and two together, and it's about seven fifteen your time, and about well, it's not that early for me, eight fifteen. But man, you're an early riser, Sam. It's dark, and if I look out my windows here, I'm staring at the moon. (laughs) There you go. Hey, so for the listeners, and I know obviously with the books and everything you do, but for the listeners, give a little context. Tell a little bit about yourself, kind of a little bit about your background, if you don't mind, Lee. Sure. I'm a sales management strategist, and I work with companies where there are executives that say, boy, there's a great opportunity for us out there, but I don't think we're getting our fair share. So I help them to put together the strategy, the processes, and the tools to help their salespeople win more deals at the prices you want. I think that's a winning combination for most sales leaders and most sales organizations. (laughs) I'm curious, how did you get, I mean, this is one of those age-old questions yeah, I don't think anyone ever grew up as a child saying, I want to be a salesperson or sales strategist. Like, how did you get into sales, Lee, just out of curiosity? Sam, I didn't realize this was going to be a six-hour podcast because that's a very long answer. We're going Joe Rogan style today. <laughs> so I didn't wake up and say, I want to be a salesperson. I evolved into it. When I was in college, I fell in love with the fitness industry, came to realize that there was no money to be made in the fitness industry. <laughs> And did recognize that I really enjoyed sales. So I said, you know, I'm going to keep fitness as a hobby, but there's really something here on the sales side. So I had an opportunity both as a salesperson and a sales management executive in various industries to build sales teams. And I'm one of those odd ducks. You know, normally a recruiter would call you and say, I've got this fantastic opportunity. The company's doing so well and they're looking to bring in a sales leader. What I was looking for is, it's a mess. It's a turnaround situation. It's new. No one's figured out how to sell this stuff. That's what gets my juices flowing. And what I found was when the creative part of the job was done, so was I. That's when I was ready to move on. Well, consulting, your job is to build the creative side and then teach your client how to administer what you put together. So for me, it was just a natural to move in this in that direction. That's fantastic. That's not an everyday thing you hear from recruiters and selling the value of the job to say, hey, it's a real shit show over there, but do you want to look at the job? So I love that piece of it. I love the challenge. Tell me nobody's done it before, I'm in. That's awesome. You've been doing this a while, and I always ask this question because it's amazing how sometimes, probably about 90% of the time, it kind of hovers in the same answer in some way, shape, form, or fashion. But through the course of sales, through your course of sales career, Like, what have you seen from a sales perspective that has changed for the better? And then what's changed for the worse, in your opinion? There's a lot of sloppiness in sales today that I find. There 
I will be 53 years old on Valentine's Day. You're like a fine wine, Lee. You just get better with age. That's right. I, I like the way you think, Sam. And when I started off in sales, there wasn't this thing, what's it called again? Oh, that's right, the internet. <laughs> right? So you had to go into a business and say, what is it you do here? Because you couldn't do a lot of research on your own. Today, there are so many tools available. And I find you still have salespeople saying, what is it you do here? Or they don't have any idea about the individual that they're calling on. And that's just, to me, sloppiness. All the tools are there that you can be fully prepared to have a meaningful conversation when you go in. One of the more recent trends, and Sam, I'm sure you've seen this as well with this uh, little pandemic we've got going on, is virtual selling. When I wrote the book proposal for Sell Different, there wasn't a chapter about virtual selling in there. And then this pandemic happens. I'm like, you know what? We need to have a chapter on virtual selling. Right. Yeah. And now that we've been at this a, a couple of years, one of the things that you're seeing today, and I think you're going to see ongoing, is that we're going to become much more strategic in the way that we sell. Before we say, let's get people on planes and jump in cars, we're going to say, you know what? How do we need to sell this deal? Can we do it virtually? Because what's come out in several studies is buyers love it. They love buying virtually. And if you think about what you're selling, in most sale types, you can get it done virtually. And the sales side of it, the executives are saying, you know what? Look how much more productive our salespeople can be if they're not wasting time driving, if they're not wasting time getting on planes. So there's both sides that are loving it. So I think you're going to see a lot more strategic decision-making when it comes to deal pursuits. How do we need to sell this? Virtual, in-person. I like it. And you hit the nail. I think you've said this in a different way, but I 100% agree with you from a sloppiness standpoint and on the other side as well. You know, technology has been the amazingness of, of our century. Yeah. It's also been kind of the crutch of our century, right? It's made lazy salespeople lazier, and it's made great salespeople even better, right? And that goes to your point of, if you're a lazy salesperson, can't even do the bare bone with technology at your disposal, that's, it's going to be a hard road for you to, to go down, needless to say. And I'll tell you, Sam, not a week goes by, and I'm not exaggerating, not a week goes by that I don't get an email, particularly on LinkedIn, where I have this profile that says, this is what I do. Right. And your profile doesn't lack, that's for sure. Right. And someone's saying, we can help you with benefits, health insurance benefits. That must be for me, myself, and I, because I'm a solopreneur. <laughs> and they talk about all these employees that I have. Then, uh, let's see, we can help you put together an effective sales compensation plan. I had somebody offer to write a sales playbook for my company. And I was like, wait a minute. I thought I'd do that. And it's so embarrassing to yourself and to your brand. Take the, and it's not a lot of time. Go on someone's LinkedIn profile, see what they're all about before you're going to send a note to them. And for crying out loud, you could tell, and Sam, I know you have the same experience. I dread accepting a connection on LinkedIn now because I can measure with an egg timer how quickly I'm going to get a solicitation email. And that solicitation email will have nothing to do with who I am and what I might be interested in. Right. So frustrating. And I put it in the bucket of sales laziness where let's, and there's this expression, sales is a numbers game. You've heard that before, right, Sam? And here's the problem with that. I partially subscribe to that. But if you wholeheartedly believe it's just a numbers game, you make people feel like a number. 
And everyone wants to feel special. Yeah. And so when you send out these generic emails, generic phone calls, when you're prospecting, you make people feel like a number. Yeah. It doesn't work. Makes perfect sense. Doesn't work. Yeah. I was just having this conversation the other day, Lee, with someone around, hey, it almost lulls you into this sense of success. Hey, I sent out 544 emails. Okay. Well, how many conversations, how many meetings did you get? Well, I didn't get anything. Like, there's this sense that I did my job. Like that's the checkbox. I've done my job as a sales. That's not your, your job is to close deal. Like I think there's a disconnect there. So and it's happened along the way, but you agree, am I way off base? You're right there. I mean, I tell salespeople all the time that you're in one of the few professions that gets paid based on results. Don't confuse work with effectiveness. I sent out 540 random emails and you say, boy, I had a great day. Did you really accomplish anything? Sure. And I work with a lot of sales leaders on this where they want to count dials. What we want to count is conversations. And then looking at the remainder of the process from that conversation, what percentage moved to the next step? And then the next step and the next step. And based on your model, you manage and gauge your salespeople based on their effectiveness of this. And when that's not being achieved, that's where you go when you do your troubleshooting work. Without a doubt. You've written two sales books on sales differentiate. I mean, what sparked that interest? I, I'm getting a sense of what sparked it, but tell the audience a little bit about what kind of sparked the interest around sales differentiation. So I'm going to show my age. You know, we recently lost Betty White. And you remember the show Golden Girls? My wife watches it every night to fall asleep to. Okay. So picture it. Marlboro, New Jersey in the 1980s. Right. A young boy, high school student, needs to get a summer job. And a family friend has this revolutionary idea. And I want you to go back. This is 1986, right? Revolutionary idea. You ready? Right. Pickup and delivery dry cleaning. He didn't own a dry cleaning store. He said, you know what? I think it's a hardship for people to take their dirty clothes to the laundromat and have to go back and, and get them up when they're clean. Right. So he said, I think there's a business here. And my summer job was as his driver. So I was driving all over Marlboro, <laughs> picking up dirty clothes and bringing them back clean. And I was really intrigued by this idea, Sam. And I wondered, would people be willing to pay more to have this service? Right. What do you think? Without a doubt. Convenience is everything. At least in today's day and age, I would say convenience, they'll pay a premium for. Nope, that wasn't the answer. Really? It was some people. It was some people. Okay. So people who work locally okay. or had someone at home that could take the dirty clothes in and bring them back clean, they thought we were nuts. Why would I want to pay anything more than I need to for my dry cleaning? Right. Makes sense. Marlboro is about an hour and a half from Manhattan, from New York City, and a lot of people commute into the city on a daily basis and don't necessarily have someone that can help them take the dirty clothes in and pick them up clean. So for them, they thought this was brilliant and they gladly wrote that check every single week. So one of the key messages that I took away at a very young age was the importance of having clarity of your target client. Now you've probably heard the expression, Sam, ideal client, right? Right. I don't use that expression. I call it a target client, and it's not a nomenclature thing. See, ideal client says to salespeople, if all the stars were to align, 
This is the kind of business we'd love to have. It's like buying a lottery ticket. A target client, a target client profile says, this is who will see meaningful value in what we have to offer. Invest every selling minute of every day in pursuit of those opportunities. Sam, does your audience like free things? Without a doubt. Awesome. If you go to Target. Some of them do, Lee. I don't know about all. (laughs) All right. Well, I've got a very easy URL for you. Ready? Okay. If you go to TargetClientsProfile.com, you can download my Target Client Profile Worksheet. has nine components to it, and that will give you clarity on the right business to pursue. But hey, Lee, on that note, but it also does that vice versa. Like, if you know who you're pursuing, it also tells you don't waste your time with that who not to pursue as well, right? I mean, think there's clarity across the board, which I think to some degree is the hardest thing for sales. It's like we want more, we need more, but really, it's not a question of quantity; it's a question of quality, right? We have to have both, right? If you don't take enough trips to the plate, you're not going to get enough base hits, right? But if every time you're going up there, you're swinging a wet noodle. That doesn't work either. Right. So you need to have a a balance of both. You you touched upon something really interesting, Sam, when you were talking about uh, who you're going after. I have a lot of conversations with salespeople about the price issue. As a matter of fact, I I gave a masterclass on it to about 700 people the other day. And one of the big reasons why that price issue comes up is a lack of clarity on who will perceive meaningful value in what you're offering. So using that dry cleaning example, if all I did all day long was go after people that worked locally or were had someone that could take the clothes to and fro, I'd be hearing the price issue all day long. I'd be running to my manager and saying, hey, we got to lower our price or, or I'm not going to be able to sell this. When the real issue is I'm pursuing the wrong deals. These are people that will never see or perceive meaningful value and what we're offering. Right. So stop it. Stop doing that. So get clarity on who will see meaningful value in what you're offering. And all of a sudden, that price issue starts to go away. That's fantastic. So there's a couple of things that really jumped out at me that I wanted to get some feedback from you on and understand this, because I think it's fundamentally imperative for sales professionals in general. But kind of looking at this, one of the things that because prospecting, right? You can't close a deal unless you start a comp. Like everything begins with the meeting and a conversation, right? You can't get to the end, the goal line. Right. But, and I've always thought this, I think we overcomplicate it, overcomplicate prospecting way too much. And you brought that up. And I want to get your thoughts around, you said, hey, salespeople are overcomplicating the prospecting. How do you believe that so, Lee? What's your thought process around that? Well, there's a couple of pieces there. Yeah. There are a lot of salespeople that believe that the only way to generate business is referrals and social selling. Okay. That prospecting is dead. And the Ring Group, are you familiar with the Ring Group? Yeah. Okay. So they conducted a study and they asked executives if they had ever taken a meeting with a salesperson who had reached out to them through some form of prospecting. Right. And do you remember what the answer was? It's in the book. I don't, it was like, but it was, uh, it was very low, wasn't it? I can't remember, Lee. So it was a huge number. It was 82%. Oh, really? So from a cold outbound, they're saying 82% of them did engage. Better than four out of five executives said they took a meeting with a salesperson that had reached out to them through some form of prospecting. 
But the study went a step further, and they found out the key ingredient, the secret sauce, if you will, to getting that meeting. You know what that was? What? It's going to take our conversation back to where we started, personalization. If you're sending out generic emails, leaving generic voicemail messages, having generic conversations when you get them on the phone, you were not going to get that meeting. But if you did some research, as a matter of fact, I'm having this conversation with my son. He's pursuing uh, internships in finance. Right. And he submitted some applications. And there's one in particular that he's really interested in, and he was sending a follow-up email. I said, well, let's talk about that. Let's not send a generic follow-up email. Let's talk about why you're interested. Well, he took the time to have a, a conversation with an executive in the company to learn about the culture. Right. He also is a user of the product, loves the product. And based on the scope of it, not only does it align with his interests, but he feels he can make a significant contribution to the company. So he's sending this email as a follow-up, not saying, hey, uh, what's up with my application? He's saying, here are three reasons why right. I'm genuinely interested in this opportunity. So someone's going to read this and go, okay, this guy didn't just send 100 applications out there, and he's looking to see if he can get a job someplace. He wants this opportunity. And I'll tell you where that comes from. When my boys were much younger, so let's see, I'm going to go back... About 10 years ago when, remember yo-yos came back in vogue? I do not, but I'm, I'm, okay. They did. And Sam, they didn't come back like you and I knew them where they were like 10 cents for a yo-yo. 100 bucks, dude. 100 bucks for a yo-yo. Wow. I remember the Rubik's Cube coming back. I don't remember the yo-yo. Okay. Yep. And they were sold in these cool specialty toy stores. Yeah. And this one Saturday afternoon, I took my boys to the store. They wanted to look at the yo-yos. And while I was there, this guy walks in and asks the manager for a job application. And the manager says, oh, we don't have any applications here. What you need to do is go to any other store in the mall, get their application, fill it out, and bring it back to us. And so one of the books that, that you referenced before sales differentiation is a book on hiring and onboarding salespeople. Higher right, higher profits. Right. And I, given that that's one of the things I work with companies to do, I went up to this manager and I said, yeah, I apologize. I overheard your, your conversation. I got to ask you, what's this no applications thing? How do you hire people? Right. He says, we got a pretty neat store here, don't we? I go, well, you do. And we're in a mall setting. And what people do is they just go store to store and they just fill out applications all day long. Right. I don't want those people. I want people that want this job, not a job. They want this job. Right. And so a way that they can demonstrate that to us very early on is a willingness to show an initiative to go to any other store in the mall. I didn't tell them which store. Get an application, fill it out, and bring it back here. And those are the only people that we consider for a role here. It's a filtering effect. And I think it's it's brilliant because... If you're an executive, and this happens all the time with sales talent, and I, and I work with clients when they're evaluating candidates, yeah, and I tell them, what you have to really figure out is, does this person want a job or this specific job, this specific role that you're offering? And when you ask them, and I interview uh, candidates on behalf of clients, I'll ask them, what is it about this role that really has you intrigued? Because I get involved late in the process after they talked with several people. They had the chance to do the research. 
And the more generic the answer, the less interested I am in that candidate. So if you bring it back to a sales side, when you're selling products and services, and you think of the executives you're calling on. So let's say you call on CIOs. CIOs are inundated from salespeople, naming, I mean, from outsourcing hardware, software, services, all of these different things. And there's only a select few this individual is going to meet with. So how do you stand out from the hundreds, if not thousands of salespeople trying to get the CIO's attention? You got to personalize the outreach. And you don't make it about yourself. You make it about them. Right. Right. If you look at most prospecting emails today, it starts off with, we do X, Y, and Z and A, B, and C. Well, show me that you know something about me and my company that you took a little bit of time, did a little research. Two minutes of research can make you look like you're brilliant. Right. And we're not willing to do that. 100% agree with you. One thing I will layer on and do it consistently. I've gotten on my side, just as a leader of sales, a sales leader, I should say, I've gotten a great first email, but I've get a million emails a day. And I don't hear from the person ever again. I don't respond. Maybe it's two years later. Like there's been things where I'm like, hey, if they would have followed up, what is the number now? Nine to 11 touches is what you have to do to get one meeting. The sense of follow-up, consistent follow-up in your prospecting needs to be there as well. To your point, if you have that TCP, not an ICP, the target client profile, and then you got the right personalization. I like to call it relevance or personalization. I know there's different levels of those two. But then you're consistently following up. That's the math equation in my estimation of success or going down the right track. Agree, disagree with that, Lee? Um, partially agree. Okay. I believe there needs to be follow-up. I'm 100% with you. With that, yep. But, and this comes back to something we touched upon a little bit ago. In Sell Different, what I talk about in there is the importance of having strategy for the quantitative side, not just the qualitative side, meaning just leaving voicemail messages or making calls to the same person over and over and over again, that's not doing it. We need to be strategic. We need to have different techniques from an email, voicemail. Now, voicemail is one of the more controversial topics. So Sam, let me ask your opinion. Well, I was going to ask you this. I was going to ask you this, Lee. I was going to ask you, do you think leaving voicemails, what's your perspective on? So you're flipping the script on me, huh? I'm going to flip it on you first, and then I'll tell you my answer. Oh, my God. I'm not the <laughs> guest on this show, Lee. God dang it. All right. Fair enough. Hey, Sam, we're in sales. You got to control the conversation. <laughs> I lost control fast. So what do you think? So I do both. Like, I will make a call, and there are times where I don't leave a voicemail. And then there are times, and there's, depending on where I'm at in that sequence or thought process or workflow, there's times where I actually do leave a voicemail. And then the consistency of that email or that voicemail sometimes ties back to, can we meet? But other times it's actually tying back to other things I've said within prior emails or even upcoming emails or upcoming events, things that I'm doing. So the strategy hovers around those areas, Lee. So, Sam, if you left 100 voicemail messages, what would you ballpark? How many do you think? call you back out of 100? Depending on if that, that was the, I never think I'm going to get a call back from a voicemail. My, my expectations are if I get one, man, I'm, I'm batting a thousand in some regards. It's really just another touch in my estimation. Maybe 1%, 2%, maybe. I'm not even sure you'd be that high. I'm giving myself, it's an amazing voicemail, Lee. Well, it's funny. There are a lot of people that are out there that do what I do for a living and they talk about how to get return calls in voicemail. And I call them out on it. 
because there's only one way you get a return call from voicemail, and I can prove this. You're listening to the Sales Samurai Podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Sales Samurai is excited to announce the launch of the largest database of B2B sales resources on the planet. 600 plus resources with more added every single day. Search, sort, and filter leading software providers, podcasts, books, blogs, and so much more. The best part, it's absolutely free to search. Go to salessamurai.io to start your search. Right. Imagine, Sam, we're done with our session here today, done with our interview, and you check your voicemail message, and there's a message from a salesperson saying, hey, I've got $1,000 for you. Give me a call back. You calling them? Probably for 1000 bucks, sure. You would? Or just some random person saying, hey, I got a... I thought you were talking about my sales rep. So yeah, I mean, I thought, okay. No, 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 no. So, a, a random salesperson. Uh, no, because I know it's probably a ploy or, or there's a pitch or there's a catch to it behind there. So I'm not making that call back. Hey, I've got free internet for you. That's what's on your voicemail. You calling them back? Probably not. Probably not. Okay. So I offered you money. I offered you something for free and you still weren't calling me back. So what could we possibly say in a voicemail message that would get you to call me back? And the answer is nothing except, so I'm going to put an asterisk there. Uh, are you doing the butt? Okay. If there's serendipity, I'll give you an example. Okay. Let's say you sell cell phone services and you leave me a message about being able to reduce my cost of cell phone. And I happen to be looking at my cell phone contract, which is up, and I'm considering alternatives. Serendipity is you're leaving a message while I'm already thinking about this issue. So then there's a a possibility that I'm going to call you back. Absence of that, it's not going to happen. Because that's pretty finite, right? I mean, that's like... It's very finite. Yeah. So based on that explanation, you probably think I'm anti-voicemail for prospecting. I'm not. I'm a huge proponent of it. I think we need to use the medium differently and change our expectations. Let's take off the table the return call. We're even going to say that in the voicemail message. You're talking about sell different? In the message, I'm not expecting you to call me back. What? Did he just say I'm not expecting... That's different than all the other messages. Right. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wet that person's whistle. I'm going to create some intrigue so when I connect with them live, they have some context for the conversation, that they're intrigued by it. I'm not expecting them to call me back. Of course, you still leave your contact information. Sure. But I'm going to set the stage for what I really want to have happen when I connect with them live. So- You've literally diffused the bomb of, hey, call me back. You're saying, listen, I'm not expecting you to give me a call back. And then you're basically leading into what the expectation of that call, when we do connect live, might be. So piques their interest, wets their whistle, whatever the term might be. Yep, exactly. And I might even say, depending on which attempt this is, I'm going to try you back on Thursday at 10 a.m. And if I have their email address, I'll send them an invite. One of the beauties of Outlook, a lot of salespeople don't know this, and I've learned this from a salesperson who worked for me for a number of years. As a matter of fact, I recruited her in in multiple companies. Outlook, if you send an invite, puts that in your calendar, whether you accept it or not. Right. So when you think of creative ways to get some FaceTime with someone, and I'm not saying that's the first thing that you do, but when you've tried some different techniques further into that process, try when you leave that voicemail message, 
Say, and I'll also send you an invite. It's a creative way. Nothing, nothing that we're ever going to talk about gets us to bat a thousand, Sam, right? Without a doubt. It's all about moving the needle. Right. And if that helps you be 5% more effective reaching people, take that number and multiply it through the rest of your process. What does that mean to your success? What does that mean to your income? Everything is about moving the needle just a little bit. And if we can keep moving that needle a little bit, the compounding effect is just unbelievable. 100% agree. So this is the other thing that caught my eye because I'm old school sales. I, you know, the pain, sell to the pain and all that stuff. And you actually brought up some good points around discovery and, and the pain selling and pro. I remember my, I used to always think it was the weirdest term probe for pain. What is your thoughts around that? Can you share that with the audience? That, those are some of the things that kind of caught my attention as well. Yeah. And that's one of the things we preach to salespeople. You got to go find the pain. You got to find the pain. Right. And, and I have a client, a coaching client, and he works for a garbage company here in Minnesota. Now, Minnesota has a lot of idiosyncrasies, including the weather. Right now, it is minus 14 degrees, and that's not the wind chill. That's the temperature right now. And in Minnesota, just about every county, every homeowner, every business contracts for their own trash removal. Wow. It's not done by at the county level. And all of these companies do a nice job. I mean, it's commodity. Truck shows up, empties your trash, can gets put down, you get an invoice, the end. Right. So he came into this company just out of college, and he's like, so I know I got to go find the pain. I'm like, what pain do you think you're going to find? He goes, I don't know. So then he went on 20 sales calls with other reps and got back together with me. I said, so tell me, what pain did you hear? It's like, I didn't hear any. Of course not. The service is commodity. But there was an opportunity in his industry that his company was well positioned for, which is most companies, because he's on the corporate side, right, are overpaying for their trash services. And it's unknowing. They don't know that they're overpaying. So, you know, like on your cell phone bill, there's all these taxes and fees and it's just like, well, that's just part of the deal. I didn't even talk about it. Right. In that industry, that's how these trash companies drive profit on the account. So they'll tell you it's $9 a month and then there's all these surcharges and fees. Yeah. But they're not taxes. They're making up these numbers. And so we developed a strategy to spark interest in a conversation with him because if he went in looking for pain, first thing he would hear is, oh, you're from this company? Yeah, we're happy with who we have today. Nobody has a problem getting their trash picked up. Right. But- we changed it from that. So this idea of pain, first of all, there are some sales that's not applicable. But then what happens in a lot of sales is we teach them probe for pain and we get, oh, pain, let's write it down. Every time we hear pain, let's write it down. But there's a second level that we don't get into. Is that pain a problem or an inconvenience? And if you think about those two, an inconvenience, we all have them. We deal with it. We live with it. It's an annoyance. A problem we need to do something about now, and we're willing to invest time, resources, and dollars to address it. So I'll give you an example. We got a COVID puppy, and she's now about a year and a half, right? and she's asleep behind me as we speak, and she gets really excited when somebody walks past the house, and we have these nice wood blinds in the dining room. And one of the sets of blinds, she got really excited one day and just broke the blinds. Like, can't fix them. Right. So there's three windows in my dining room, and you have blinds, 
lines and a sheet looks awful. My wife and I talk about it multiple times every week. Right. But you know, this COVID thing, we don't have anybody coming to visit. Someone in the house. So it's an inconvenience. Convenience. Not a problem yet. All of a sudden, if my parents or her parents are coming to town, I will guarantee you there will not be a sheet on that window. It is now a problem, and we got to do something about it. Right. I'll give you another example, and this is very current today. If you look at COVID, right? COVID, we have this mindset, we got to get rid of it. Well, if you think of that problem inconvenience, when people are dying from it, that's a problem. If they're getting hospitalized, that's a problem. But, you know, we never got rid of the common cold. We still have it. Right. You feel lousy for a couple of days, and then you're fine. If we can get COVID to become an inconvenience, think about what we've accomplished. Okay, I got COVID. All right, I feel lousy for a couple of days, and then I'll be fine. So this whole thing about probing for pain and understanding what's an inconvenience and what's a problem, if we're just writing down the pain and it turns out they're all inconveniences, now you know why your deals stall out. How would you recommend Lee differentiate? Like, and I know it might be very black and white, but like sometimes those inconveniences can see, is it a matter of timing? Is it a matter of like, how do you justify, hey, is this an inconvenience or is this actually a problem for you as a, as a prospect? You have to ask follow-up questions and not just say, I'll give you an example. I have a client that's in the uh, outsourced help desk space and they'll tell me stories about a help desk manager that they met with. And they say, the wait times right now, it's 30 minutes to get help. And they'll write that, wow, 30 minutes, that's really bad. And they'll write that down. And then the last questions of that person, so is 30 minutes, is that a long time? Is that an acceptable time to you? Well, it's longer than we want, okay? Now, mind you, this person on their own can't decide to outsource this. They have to get others involved, particularly north on the org chart. And one of the big questions that salespeople don't ask is, your executive team, how do they feel about this issue? Do they know about this 30-minute thing? And are they willing to invest dollars to address it? You know what the most common answer is? I don't know. They never had the conversation with that executive level. And if they don't turn their keys, there's no deal. And so part of our role in sales is, is to coach and counsel the people that want to take action on something. And one of the big things that happens in sales that causes us to lose deals, we meet with mid-level management. We all say, boy, I want to get to the C-suite. We wind up meeting with mid-level management, and we don't ask enough questions to understand how the C-suite feels about this issue we're talking about. Because the person you're meeting with may see it as a problem. But if the people that control the purse strings See, is this an inconvenience? The deal goes nowhere. Right. Hey, w- would you also suggest, Lee, on that? Because, you know, I, we've all done it. You know, you're always trying to get to the C-suite or upper level, you know, top-down approach versus bottom-up. But I find there's a lot of value from those, I used to call them chair sides back in my days at Career Builder, understanding the challenges of the day-to-day user, right? And But in order for that to actually bubble to the top, someone had to find a per like, what was the personal impact to you in your day by this happening, right? That became tangible where they would champion you. They would say, you know what? I didn't think of it that way, that X, Y, and Z, this is who we need to talk to, right? Because you're right. I don't know is a big killer, right? And the, on top of that is I don't know, and I'm not really willing to do anything about it. So then go home. <laughs> right. 
that deal's going nowhere. If they don't know and they're not willing to find out, let's not waste our time. You got it. So I think those are a couple layers that I think those are really valid points that top down, bottom up, however you want to approach it. But I love the fact that, hey, ask those layered questions. Like, hey, is, it, is that a long time? Not we like to see it better, but what about your executive team? I think that extra layer is essential because it helps you understand the dynamic within the organization. And the big question of why, right? 30 minutes, you say that's way too long. Why do you feel that way? I mean, they can be multitasking while they're waiting to connect the help desk. So it's hard to convince anyone that you're losing productivity. Yeah. Why is that too long? Yeah. And if you can't articulate it for the C-suite in a business case, dollars and cents, the deal goes nowhere. Right. Without a doubt. And then I think the other thing is, hey, it's long here, but if you're having conversation within your TCP and you're noticing it's exponentially longer than anyone else in their sector, that's education and thought leadership you're bringing to the conversation around the reasons why they should be investigating. I love that. And part of your target client profile, Sam, is determining who in the organization, not just the organization itself, but who in particular will perceive the most value in what you're offering. And let's go to that person first. Let's get them really excited and then help them sell internally to get others on the same page. That's awesome. So you brought this up, and I want to touch on this again, because I think this is a big point, this whole pain, probing for pain and all this stuff. And you brought up the, the waste management and all those type of things. What pain do they really have? Okay, they maybe missed my delivery once in 74 years. Right. Not a lot, right? That's more of an inconvenience than it is a problem. And an old colleague of mine said, hey, do you sell a pain pill or do you sell a vitamin pill? Like a missed opportunity. I think like, getting down to that, are we a pain pill or are we more of a vitamin, a missed opportunity? I think everyone thinks they're a pain pill. Not every solution, everything out there is actually a pain pill. Am I off base, Lee? Is everything in some way, shape, form, or fashion solving? I no, it's 100% with you. There's pain and there's gain. And we have to figure out, and it's funny when you look at managing salespeople. There are salespeople motivated by fear and some that are motivated by greed. And you have to figure out which individual the more dominant of the two is when you're working with them. If you keep talking to someone, look at how much money you're going to make, and they're more motivated by, I'm afraid I'm going to miss my goal or I'm going to fail with this, something like that, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. But you're exactly right. There's pain and there's gain. And we have to be able to position those effectively so that people want to take action on them. Without a doubt. Hey, so in your book, this was one thing that I was actually interested in. Strategic selling opportunity. Just one thing. Yes. I've, well, I've already said four things, <laughs> Lee. I've already said the pain. I mean, what do you want from me? You, let, you told them one and you're giving them four. I can't, you know, that's how I am. I'm indecisive. I don't know. See, now you have to, now you have to keep probing. <laughs> so you said 99.9, I don't know if that's an exaggeration, but salespeople miss this. Uh, within the deal cycle. So what is that, Lee? Yep. It's 99.999% of salespeople miss an incredible opportunity to differentiate themselves. Okay. Walk us through it. So we talked earlier about CIOs and all the different salespeople that are trying to get their attention. So we have this discovery meeting, and it's a great discovery meeting. You found not just pain points, Sam, you found problems. And you position your differentiators. They ate them up. They loved it. You've got action items. They've got action items. The deal's so good you can taste it. So you either head off Zoom or you're going back to your car and you're replaying the meeting in your head. 
And it's like your favorite movie. For me, that would be Caddyshack, by the way. <laughs> and here's the flaw, Sam. We think that the people we met with remember that meeting just as vividly as we do. Right. Doesn't dawn on us that after our meeting, they had seven other meetings, 120 emails, 16 voicemails, each one of them layering on top of, of our meeting. Are you familiar with the forgetting curve? Have you ever heard of this? No, I haven't. Google this. Herman Ebbinghaus, back in the 1800s, okay. studied our ability to remember. After 24 hours, we forget 50%. Okay. After a week, it's, we remember less than 10%. So think about all of this that's happening in, in this business setting. Our best case is about 50% after 24 hours. That's not enough. When you think about a conversation we had, where we're talking about either outsourcing something that's never been outsourced before, or changing uh, suppliers. Yeah. We need better retention. And so here's the opportunity that so many salespeople miss out on. It's the recap email. Within 24 hours of that meeting, you send a recap email that has five parts to it. The first one is your objectives, what they said they're looking to accomplish. Use their words and expressions so they're reading it not and going, yeah, he heard me. How we can help. Position your differentiators. Remind them of the key points that you talked about of where you fit in that meeting. Your action items, their action items. I mean, how many times, Sam, have you had a follow-up meeting with someone and they were supposed to do this stuff? Like, oh, that's right. I was supposed to talk to Phil. I forgot. Sorry. And then our agreed upon next step. And you send that in such a way that they can forward it to others, people who need to turn their keys that can quickly be brought up to speed who weren't in that meeting. And if you think about what that does, there's no CRM on the planet that can write that for you. Right. So it's going to take you five, 10 minutes to put that together. They know it took you time to put that together. So you're showing genuine interest in them. Remember I said no one likes to feel like a number? Now you're making them feel special. That you took the time to put that together is significant, and it helps you to stand out from everyone else that's going after that account. Yeah, I think you hit a ton, and I'm always shocked when I don't get a recap. Like when I've met with salespeople that I've never, like I actually thought the conversation was pretty decent. Like I thought there were some clear next steps, and I got nothing in a recap. And of course, after a week, they follow up and I've forgotten the entire conversation and, and things of that nature. But here's one thing I, I would say on the recap. In today's day and age, it's even easier, right, Lee, for the simple fact that if you are doing it via Zoom, there's gongs, there's all these recording things that capture everything and almost transcribe it for you that you can take an extra five, 10 minutes to, and speed up the play to hear all of it and just, I don't want to say copy and paste, but you're not having to remember everything on these Zoom calls, right? Correct. There's plenty of tools that'll help you do it. Without a doubt. You just have to, ha have, to have the discipline to do it. Exactly. And then the other thing I'll layer onto that, because I love what you said, is how many times have you followed up around action items? Hey, you were going to get with Phil. Hey, maybe before that next step, maybe that is an email, you know, basically reply to it. Hey, just checking in, make sure you had the opportunity to talk to Phil before our meeting on Thursday of this week, right? Right. Those are the blocking and tackling that sets yourself apart from everyone else who's just hopping into a meeting like, what are we doing here? I don't know. Let's set an agenda. Those type of things, right, Lee? Exactly. Exactly. So why, just curious, like, if we know this and this is, is this the overcomplication of sales? Like, why isn't this happening more? Thoughtfulness or lack thereof. There's a lot of pressure from sales leaders to push on activity 
not necessarily the quality of that activity. And there's a lot of salespeople that confuse effectiveness for work, meaning I'm doing all these things like we talked about before. I sent all these emails out and they think they've achieved something and we haven't moved the needle at all. Right. Got a doubt. So part of it's like where we started. It's sales laziness. It's not enough awareness in the sales management suite of looking at not just the quantitative side, but the qualitative side of every step of the process. Fantastic. Hey, Lee, how do people learn more about you? Obviously, get your book, share a little bit about how they connect with you and all that kind of fun stuff. Sure. So the book's available in all your favorite bookstores. You can get it on Amazon, of course. If you want to get a taste of the book, if you go to selldifferencebook.com, selldifferencebook.com, you can download the first chapter either to read or even to listen to. Um, so you get a taste of that. And regardless of where you buy the book, come back to that website, selldifferentbook.com. There's a video series that goes along with it, and it's only available to people that buy the book. So you go there, fill out the form, upload your receipt, and for every week for a year, you're going to get an email to the Sales Differentiation Minute, Volume 2, to help you implement the strategies in the book, as well as other ones that are not in the book. That's fantastic. We're going to put all that in the show notes so no one has to remember that. It'll be in the show notes for the episode. Awesome. I have it on my one of my top. Every year, I put about 40 books into my queue. What is it? The reading list on Amazon, the Kindle. It is purchased. It's just, I've got six books in. I'm 2022, man. It's, it's late January. I only got so much time, but that is in my reading queue. So I'm, I'm excited to look forward. I'm looking forward to to reading through that and getting on the video queue as well. Lee, I sincerely appreciate your time today. Sam, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Sales Samurai Podcast with your host, Sam Capra. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast and visit salessamurai.io and join the conversation, access show notes, and discover bonus content.